Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. Ace Podcast. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, we're talking what we want to see from Thor Ragnarok, Sony's Week in Paris, our thoughts on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and why is South Park still going strong after all these years? All this and more as we once again delve into the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we are back for another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And who is here to break down all the great goings on in the world of pop culture? But my good friend, he is the man, the myth, the legend. He is the Mjolnir Hammer of Humanica Media. It's Josh Peterson. What's up, my friend? Not much, man. Hey, you just Mjolnir, huh? Didn't you see in the trailers for Thor 3 that it explodes? So I think you're predicting my destruction, and that worries me. That actually worries me, too, because, yeah, it just like... They've shown a lot of trailers on this one. There's, If you look on YouTube, you can find a lot of stuff. I know you don't like to, but I, you can find a lot of uh, footage already out there on the movie itself. A lot of clips, too, I noticed. That, that like an unusual amount of clips, like a lot more clips than is usually shown for a Marvel movie. Yes, everything from, you know, of course, before Thor loses a lot of his, his gusto to just as when he's getting ready for the arena and, and in the arena with Hulk and, and even after that formation of the team, just quite a bit as well. It seemed kind of uh, strange that they did it, but maybe it's for the best because it's already earned over $100 million overseas and it hits domestic theaters. This weekend, it's Thor Ragnarok, and we're going to break down Thor, what exactly we're looking forward to because Josh and I both are getting ready this weekend to check it out and we'll we'll share our final thoughts on the Monday show the pop culture cosmos show but we're going to share our hopes for Thor Ragnarok here in a minute we've also got coming up later in the show our thoughts on Sony's week in Paris at the Paris Games Week check out what they were doing in the city of love was it a good love fest for them We'll weigh in with our thoughts on on what they debuted and what they were uh, also showing off there at the conference a little bit later in the program. Plus, three great guests stopped by. As always, it's Christopher Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. He's stopping by to share his thoughts on Week 9 in the NFL. 
and a lot happened at the NFL trading deadline, and we'll break that down indeed. Plus, my good friend Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast, which you can check out on Flopcast.net and the ESO Network. Check out his great show there. He is going to stop by, as we do once a year, with our thoughts. We're going to go back and forth on the nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Who do we think is going to go in? And who do we think is going to stay out? We're going to weigh in with our thoughts on that. And then Jason Feinberg from Honey Queen. Check out his great podcast on the BS Podcast Network. He's going to also stop by to share his thoughts on why South Park still remains so relevant after all these years. But first, like I said, it's going to be a great weekend at the box office. The October doldrums are now, it's it's gone. It's It's been swept away and what comes in its place but a great weekend indeed from thor ragnarok marvel's latest hit is it's or like i said already garnered over 100 million dollars overseas and it looks to do at least another 100 million this weekend josh what are your thoughts on thor ragnarok as we go in there we're both excited You've been a bigger fan of the Thor franchise so far on the MCU than I've been. I'm looking forward just because I think for me, it's coming at a completely different angle. For you as someone who's enjoyed the Thor movies in the past, is this something you're looking just as forward to as well? Yeah, of course. The first Thor movie, like Thor is a, I don't know if you've ever read his comic books, but his like stories take place on such an epic scale that it often takes over 10 issues to tell one story arc of Thor, especially like his post civil war stuff. Like he, it takes place after, cause before the civil war, he actually in Avengers disassembled is when Ragnarok takes place. So like this movie, if you were to look at it in comic books, it actually is supposed to be before civil war. But anyways, after civil war, like it's just this massive, like reimagining of Thor and, I think that it, the movies never really did him justice as far as, you know, they showed Asgard and all that stuff, but, like, there's a lot more to, like, Thor's world than ever got shown in the movies, and I think that's where they always fell short. But, you know, what we've learned from Thor Ragnarok, it, I mean, what this goes to show, like, it's already a rating super high with critics, and I think this just shows us that, you know, you just needed the right talent to bring out Thor. Because well, Thor has the potential to be funny, and he also has the potential to be epic. And I think up until now, we haven't gotten a filmmaker who can do something like that. And that's what I'm really looking forward to see with Thor Ragnarok. But as someone who's not a fan, what are you hoping to get out of it? Well, I do like that angle as far as the buddy comedy. And I Early on, when they were identifying it as kind of like a buddy comedy between him and Hulk, uh, that part intrigued me very much as far as that dynamic. Like you said, Chris Hemsworth really has very, very good acting chops when it comes to the comedy aspect of it. I, I mean, he really tried hard in Ghostbusters and probably was one of the few decent examples uh, in, in what was a lackluster picture. So I think he he really looks like he he's enjoying it from from what I see in the in the clips that he's enjoying this aspect of the character that he's enjoying this angle of the Thor franchise instead of going ahead with the straightforward trying to save the Earth or I'm trying to save Asgard or I'm trying to save the galaxy 
like the two previous Thor movies, which I found to be very disappointing. If you want to check out my thoughts on the Marvel Universe as a whole, I just updated it just before Thor Ragnarok hits. If you want to check it out on our site, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Both Thor movies are not exactly high up on my list. And that's because I found that the pacing and then the story and basically the way his character has been drawn up has been pretty bland. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, it's there's so much more to him than we've been given. He's a very epic character. There's a lot of backstory there. And, but, and there's also a lot of potential in the dynamic that they've created within the Marvel Universe. And I think that we just haven't seen it properly brought to life, which really isn't, you know, it's kind of unfair because he's, he's, you know, he's at his third movie. I know the director said he wanted to do a fourth if he ever got the chance. But it's kind of a shame that we had to wait this long to see this character truly um, come to life. And, you know, whether or not he survives Infinity War, we'll have to wait and see. But I'm hoping that this is the beginning of something bigger for Thor. I think he does have to go back to a little bit more of a serious nature when it comes to the Infinity Wars, just because of the dire nature of, of what Thanos is going to bring and present to the Avengers as a whole. Maybe his dynamic which has been hinted with the Guardians of the Galaxy, maybe that kind of dynamic will still play off that comedic talent that he has. In this case, it's truly the best part of watching the Thor aspect of it is just the fact that it, when you see him in someone who, who's been so formal, uh, so proper, even the etiquette and language, if you for instance, you know, like what Iron Man had said in the first Avengers movie, Shakespeare in the Park. I mean, it almost came off like Shakespearean drama as opposed to anything else. So I'm hopeful that it, he will still be able to retain that kind of tone. But as it gets deeper into the Infinity Wars, Infinity Wars Part 1, and then whatever else they're calling Avengers 4, I'm hoping that he'll still be able to retain some of that comedic value. Do you think that's going to be the case, or do you think it's going to go back to a serious Thor because of obviously what Thanos is going to threaten to do to the entire universe? Well, I think that the entire Infinity War saga is going to be serious just because there's there's a lot at stake. Like It's not just a continent or a city or an individual. It's the entire galaxy, pretty much, the universe, maybe, and... I'm not expecting a lot of comedy. I'm actually expecting like some, you know, of course there'll be funny things in it, but it's probably going to be a lot darker than we're expecting it to be. And, you know, as for Thor, like if you look back, you know, look at Iron Man, look at Spider-Man, even look at Captain America, you have these comic, like when they were comic books, their, you know, their origin tales are told back in like the 60s and 70s. So, it, you know, in our time, so it's a, you know, you have these completely different takes on the characters with, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker is like this, this nerd and he's, you know, sort of leave it to Beaver Wally-ish. And, um, you know, you go back and where, do, where do you draw the line? Like where with Thor, like where do you take that and modernize it? Because it's meant to be kind of archaic, I guess. Thor was a tricky property to adapt and, you know, it could have been a lot worse than it was to be completely honest with you. But I am for the first time, really excited to see a Thor movie as Thor Ragnarok opens in domestic theaters this weekend. Like I said, it's already done very well overseas. And I think this movie will end up doing very well over the holidays, even though we'll be talking Justice League here in a couple weeks and Star Wars 
not too long after that. I still think Thor Ragnarok will find a place as one of the better hits this holiday season. What are your thoughts on Thor Ragnarok? We'd love to hear from you. Do you think it's something that it's going to help enhance the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Is it something you're looking forward to? Are you going to head out there to the movies this weekend? Does it bring you back in after what was a dismal August and also a not exactly thrilling October as well? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, game source, and humanican media on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, it's going to be another great episode indeed. We've got Kevin Eldridge from the Flopcast talking some Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jason Feinberg from Hunnequeen. He's going to share his thoughts on why South Park still retains its, its golden value. And also as well, Tyler Baker previews Week 9 in the NFL for fantasy football owners out there. Again, it's going to be another packed episode indeed. And we'll be back later in the program to talk about Sony's big week in Paris as far as the Paris Games Week is concerned and how well they did and some of the announcements that they made and also some of the, the traders that they show and our thoughts on that as well. So another great episode happening indeed right here on the PCC Multiverse. We're so glad you could join us. And right now, it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without some music from our good friend, Plasma Z. And this is level one, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
Thanks for checking out the PCC. You know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. It's that magical time of the year. Once again, it is the time for the nominations for the 2018 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Music Awards. And who better to break it down with me in a little bit of detail? Although if you want a greater discussion, you got to check out his awesome podcast. It's Kevin Eldridge of the Flopcast. How are you, my friend? Hey, Gerald. I am good. Uh, thanks so much for having me back on, uh, on the show. And uh, I, I like that I've got this reputation around the ESO network for uh, the guy to go to to uh, whine and complain about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, it's not just about whining about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You actually, you're always the one that seems to enlighten me now each and every year as far as when they go out. And when I listen to your show, that's the Flopcast, which is available on flopcast.net and also as well the ESO Network. So I appreciate you taking the time again to talk to us. It's a great time indeed as far as uh, for those who are nominated. But for some others, there's some little bit of rejection. And, and when it gets to that part of it, I think I'll be doing some crying when we talk about that. But first <laughs> off, I want to mention the actual nominees for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that's coming up for 2018. Bon Jovi, Kate Bush, The Cars, Depeche Mode, Dire Straits, The Eurythmics, The Jay Giles Band, Judas Priest, LL Cool J, MC5, The Meters, The Moody Blues, Radiohead, Rage Against the Machine, Rufus featuring Shaka Khan, Nina Simone, Sister Rosetta Tharp, Link Ray, and The Zombies. So, uh, like I said, I, if you want a great breakdown, you got to listen to his show, The Flopcast. It's quite a list. That's an interesting list. Quite a, and it's a good list, I think. It, some surprises uh, on there and uh, some long overdue nominees as well. Well, I, I will tell you what, it was actually more cut and dry last year, I think, we, we had some when we had our discussion, which you can still check out on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel. It, we had a discussion, I think it was we broke it down, there was, there was some really some obvious choices, I think, that time that were like no-brainers. I know there's some initial first-time eligible nominees that were actually part of the list this year, but... What names of this interesting eclectic mix of different type of bands and groups out there, which ones stick out to you most as ones that should get the call this year? I think uh, a couple of the first-time nominees that really seem like long overdue would be from the world of prog rock <laughs> from back in the 70s, the Moody Blues. Seems like a, a, a band that should have gotten in long ago and the other one the other one would be uh from metal from the world of metal judas priest both those right on target first of all kevin i'll tell you you got another thing coming but uh (laughs) and i will say this as far as spending some more nights in white satin that is a beautiful (laughs) song and i tell you what just that song alone should be considered one of the the most awesome songs ever produced and ever made and yes the moody blues with a whole list of hits should already have been in and Judas Priest as well as far as being one of the marquee names in heavy metal. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. 
why do you think they haven't both been put in as of yet? I think those are both areas where the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it just wasn't really to their taste, I think, that the prog bands and the metal bands, while very important, and from that 70s era, they the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame seems really more based in kind of the hippie side of rock, <laughs> which the, the, the prog guys were sort of, sort of grew out of that and were doing their own thing and, and the much more elaborate, complex music. And then, of course, you know, metal was just exploded uh, through the 70s and was such a reaction along with punk. So they've been slow to come around to some of these uh, acts that are really important and really influential. We've seen that as far as prog rock, they've made up for lost time in the last few years. And, you know, this past year, they brought in Yes, Rush, Genesis, uh, a bunch of these bands have finally gotten in. Metal, they've been so deficient in, you know, they, 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 they put in Black Sabbath a long time ago. From more recent times, Metallica got in right away, as they should. But when you talk about metal, that the fundamental founding metal acts, oh, that list is always going to include Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Motorhead. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, how many kids during our era of, of era gone by wore Iron Maiden t-shirts? I mean, uh, there's countless thousands that were following their music back in the 80s and whatnot. So. I definitely agree with you on Iron Maiden as well. Uh, so there are a couple new nominees. I, I was saying a first-time nominees that they were first-time eligible. Rage Against the Machine and Radiohead. I know there's going to be a lot of, let's say, fans that are more, I, I guess, fan, younger fans, fans that are more millennials, maybe a little bit more, uh, I guess, more into what's going on in today and now that may be trying to push those bands, Radiohead and Rage Against the Machine, into the Hall of Fame, maybe earlier than expected or maybe deserved. I am personally favoring Rage Against the Machine over Radiohead. I think Radiohead is, does not have the body work for me to get in, but I, that's like I said, it's just a matter of opinion. But of those two, do you think either one will stick out as something that, as a group that will probably be sent in at least this time around? Yeah, and, and Radiohead, again, I, I know very little about them but i know that they're very respected and this is one of those critics darling kind of bands that the critics would just gush over what brilliant music they've produced and they're they're probably right it, it's an area that i'm a little ignorant about their work uh so the 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 word that i've heard is that radiohead is expected to get in even though they're, they're young this is their first year of eligibility but this is one of those bands that I think they're probably going to get in. I agree with you on that. I think because they've, like I said, they've gotten a name that, that expanded beyond their music, beyond their name as far as a lot of bands that are from today that were influenced by Radiohead. LL Cool J, do you think he has the body of work to be able to make it over the top and become a part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Yeah, I was wondering about LL Cool J, and I'm, I'm not a rap guy, so I don't go too deep on uh, knowing too much about LL Cool J. But, yeah, I know those early hits, and being one of those early major stars out of the rap scene makes LL Cool J uh, eligible. And this is his fourth nomination, and uh, I would not be surprised if LL Cool J 
gets in, especially seeing how the, the last few years that there's been a rap act has been inducted almost every year for the last few years. You know, they inducted Tupac Shakur this past year, NWA the year before. So I think there's about six pure rap acts have been inducted at this point, And we're certainly going to see a bunch more in the next few years. So LL is one of the, one of the names on this list that if I had to pick out like six names and say, here's who I think is going to be inducted, LL would be one of those names for me. I want to ask one more thing before we head into some teary-eyed discussion. <laughs> is there anybody else on this list that sticks out? I'm thinking the cars, but the cars I think are just going to be perennial favorites and not going to be able to get in. The Eurythmics might be a surprise to some, uh, especially with the 80s scene pretty much being covered by a lot of other bands that have already been uh, allowed to get into the hall. But what are some of the other surprises that may, you think may get into the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I love the Cars. I'm a Boston guy, and they were one of my very favorite bands coming up. This, this is their third nomination. And yeah, they are one of those bands that you could easily see getting nominated multiple times, but never quite making it. I kind of feel like maybe this is their year. I hope. Maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part. Uh, one thing that makes me a little nervous about them, and we brought this up uh, when we talked about these nominees on the Flopcast, is the Cars and the Jay Giles band. I started wondering, here you've got two Boston rock bands from the 70s. Are they going to split the votes and kind of knock each other out of contention? <laughs> so that's uh, that's something that uh, I hope is not going to happen. And, and I mean, Jay Giles are cool too, but I really hope uh, this is finally the year for the Cars. The MTV generation is still being thought of very strong indeed. And I'll tell you what, let's hope the cars can drive their way to a <laughs> Hall of Fame recognition there and actually get into the Hall of Fame. And you know, to those other bands, we wish everyone best of luck on that. They're all great artists and they're all great bands. Now we're going to do some crying here. And, and I'm going to ask right off before we get to the big crying. Yeah. What about some of those bands that we've seen on the list numerous times before that that really just haven't gotten their shot i'll say i'll start off with Kraftwerk, that just has revolutionized the edm scene as we talked about on last year's podcast what about them and also other bands that continuously get ignored that we love so much that just seem to not get that even that call to get nominated or into the hall itself Kraftwerk, I, I know you're a fan of, and I am as well. And yeah, they're not nominated again. That's a band that's so important and so influential. And probably what's holding them back is they were not really a commercially big band in America. So that that's a, a knock against them as far as uh, uh, getting in. In a similar vein, when I think of Kraftwerk, I, I'm also reminded of Devo having that kind of robotic sound as well and uh, i'm a massive devo fan and i don't know if devo's ever been nominated i don't think they have been there's still great music that's out there from devo and there's other bands as well that that have yet to be nominated one name in particular that we always <laughs> Easy <laughs> i'm sorry we're gonna get through that... this together gerald be strong uh -huh. I'm going to try to be strong. I'm going to try. Um, one name that we always try to even just push out there because they are so deserving because if you're talking about commercial success, if you're talking about worldwide success, if you're talking about long-term success, they have it more than 
probably a good percentage of those acts that are inducted in the hall, but because of certain stigmas, they're probably as, as you, when you and I talked before last year about it, they're probably never going to get even a sniff and that's the monkeys. So tell us again, for those out there who didn't hear us last year when we were crying <laughs> so much <laughs> about the monkeys, not even getting a sniff as far as the nomination is concerned, why they may never even get a chance to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, and the, there are people or at least one person at the very top of the uh, Hall of Fame organization who have not been subtle about saying that the monkeys will never be in the Hall of Fame, that uh, you know, there, there are individuals who just, just consider them a joke and you're not going to get to uh, be part of my club. Again, full disclosure, I'm a huge lifelong Monkees fan, one of my all-time favorite bands. I've got all the records. I see them in concert whenever I can. The Monkees themselves, I've got to say, have been very gracious about this. Uh, my friend Ken Reed, he does the uh, TV Guidance Counselor podcast, which is great. Ken interviewed Mickey Dolenz just a couple of months ago, and the subject came up. And Mickey could not have been more gracious and reasonable about the whole situation he said it's fine and he said you know the rock and roll hall of fame is a private club it's a private organization that was set up and the people that run it can let in or keep out whoever they want and that's fine you know it, <laughs> he's not losing any sleep over it i was part of a conversation with peter tort just a year or so ago where the subject came up and peter just outright said i don't care and he seemed quite sincere about that I haven't heard Mike Nesmith's viewpoint on any of this directly. I don't know if he's ever spoken about it or been asked about it, so I, I don't know where he stands. But the monkeys, it's very clear to them based on what, what they see from their fans whenever they uh, go out and play that you know the, the people love the monkeys and, and they know it and they've had huge success for over 50 years now. It's very obvious that they should absolutely, if you're going to have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the monkeys should be in it. But... If you have a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame where the guy that runs it, he's, <laughs> then they're not going to get in it. And uh, that's that's the way it is. Uh, that's the way it is indeed. And we're going to be crying for what I think is probably many more years to come. That's it's just <laughs> a very, very sad decision because of their history and, and where they go in as far as help creating the early remnants of pop culture and as far as being able to transition seamlessly within the entertainment world from music to television, and it can be debated who made the music. I will tell you this, that the monkeys have proven over the course of, of the decades since that they are more than deserving of a nomination and not only of a nomination, but to get in as well. Kevin, as always, it's been a great pleasure having you on I expect you to come on hopefully a lot sooner next time. But if not, I'll tell you what, next year we can cry over spilt milk with the monkeys once again. <laughs> I'm um, getting angry already. I'm already furious for next year. Can't yes, wait. yes, in, indeed. But it truly is a great pleasure having you part of the PCC Multiverse. Please, everyone out there, give the Flopcast a really, really great listen. It's a great show, which is available on Flopcast.net and also as well the ESO Network. Appreciate you taking the time again to talk to us. Great to be here, Gerald. Thank you so much. Thanks as always, my friend. And so great to have you part of the pop culture cosmos. 
Hey, Kevin. Hey, Cornflake. So we host the Flopcast. We cover nerd and geek subjects of all types, but this is sort of a sillier, goofier side of geekdom, I'd say. We love to talk about music, especially funny music. We talk about comic books, conventions. Saturday morning cartoons! Oh yeah. I'd say if you're going to put the Flopcast in Brady Bunch terms, we're like the Cousin Oliver of podcasting. (laughs) And we do a ridiculous new Flopcast episode every week. What is wrong with us? We really have nothing else to do. (laughs) We're part of the Earth Station One Podcast Network. And you can find us at Flopcast.net. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. Once again, this is Jason Feinberg of Honeyqueen. You want to check out his truly awesome podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and as part of the BS Podcast Network. We had a deep, deep discussion on South Park, and you want to check out one of the latest Honeyqueen episodes. What do you think of the reasons why South Park still remains so relevant and remains such a popular part of today's pop culture? I think it's because South Park, they keep up, and by they, Matt and Trey, keep up with current events. Somehow they're able, and and this goes back to what they said about the first two seasons, they somehow lightning in the bottle where you had these eight-year-olds just cursing and swearing. That was okay for the first two seasons, and... After a while, I got sick of Cartman really quick. I mean, I I bought a box of Cheesy Poofs. Like, anything that could be merchandise came out. I, ha- I had the Cartman plush doll, everything. But by season two, I was saying, okay, there's only so many times they can curse, fart, burp, whatever. And I think Matt and Trey figured that out. So they were, were interviewed. They came off as being smart guys. Thankfully, they were able to put today's topics, and they – came up with this great idea, which we saw in the documentary, they decided to do six days to air. And it's not that hard because all they really do is they they did the construction paper and that's how they animated the show. And then finally, after season two came and went, they were able to get a bigger budget and they were able to scan the construction paper into computers and then use that to manipulate the characters. And I think that's we can see now that the animation got a lot smoother it got a lot better they're using more computer animation they're using more relevant topics and they do have some great senses of humor especially when it came they, they were noted for the um, uh, the alien Gonzalez incident in late 99 early 2000 we all remember that one with Janet Reno but there was also the whole Tiger Woods incident where we don't know what happened between him and at this time his wife, so I just love the fact how there was an episode that just opened where Tiger and his wife are fighting with golf clubs, and then we cut and we see that it's Cartman and, and Stan there playing the new Tiger Woods game. They just know when to j- take an idea and roll with it. And within 22 minutes, what they have to say makes sense. And I think every episode that they've worked on, sometimes it's the kids just being kids, sometimes they bring in social topics, but they pretty much are not the people on YouTube that just make stupid comments and like nobody cares what you have to say when you hide behind a screen name. They're much smarter when the, you know, as, as for angry America, I think they really know how to talk to the people. Well, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, I'll tell you what, 
they do a great job indeed on on such a weekly basis with with South Park and over the years as you and I talked about on your show Hunting Queen that they've done such a great job over the years of staying relevant of keeping their show current and fresh by tackling very controversial subjects and often not only pushing the envelope but going over and and uh, we're creating a lot of controversy which brings attention to their show and the great work that they do so that's why i tell you what they're still as fresh today in many people's eyes and and probably in our eyes as well as what they were doing so many years ago and i don't see them ending their great work anytime soon on comedy central if you want to check out our conversation in greater detail check out the great hunting queen podcast along with all of other uh, jason's great shows on there jason tell us a little bit more about hunting queen and and why it's a show that you cannot afford to miss i podcast it because i just had a lot of pop culture swag and i wanted to talk about it and i tried to review it on blogs and unfortunately everyone has a blog i used to do the uh youtube channels but everybody has a youtube channel and then i decided to do a podcast but everybody has a podcast at this point so I talked about Godzilla films because I didn't see many people that were doing that. And then I found that there were other people that were doing Godzilla films. So I just I just made it like a grab bag, like whatever came to mind I would do. And over the years, it did well. But when I looked at the numbers, a lot of people liked it when I did the Hunt Ween episodes in October where I was talking horror. And I looked at the numbers and they liked the horror topics, then the comic book conversations, and then Godzilla – at the bottom, I would sometimes interview comic book artists and cosplayers, and I just figured, well, everybody's talking about comic books nowadays, and not a lot of people, if they do talk about horror films, it just seems to be like a, you know, a cell phone conversation. I have a degree in psychology, a concentration in philosophy and English writing, so I figured, let me just do that, just like break down the psychology and philosophy every now and then, not, you know, like not to do it where I'm going over people's heads. But I decided just to keep it with the horror theme right now, which is perfect because I have enough horror movies and comics and whatnot that in a couple weeks – I mean Rick and Morty is also another great show that I came across. It's kind of Halloween themed because it's a little bit of H.P. Lovecraft and Doctor Who and has aliens in it. So I plan on discussing that. So that will be like a sub-series in the archives. The show is bi-weekly at this point. I've had guests come on. I've had co-hosts come on and off. Doors always open. But for now, I think my home will be a pod bean. I, I, I feel that this is where I want to keep the series at for now. And hopefully wherever it goes, I don't really think that the uh, horror genre is going to disappear anytime soon. And if I run out of ideas, I can always go back to the comic book ideas. But as long as I keep having listeners, at least one, I'll continue to do it. Well, that's awesome indeed. Once again, you got to check out the Hunting Queen podcast that is available on Podbean on Stitcher, also as well, available on Apple Podcasts, and of course, the BS Podcast Network. Jason, it's been great having you on. I'll tell you what, cannot wait to get you back on the show to talk more great pop culture subjects, and I truly appreciate you coming on to see us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. No problem. Thanks again. 
Rob McCallum Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. And I'll tell you what, week nine in the NFL is upon us. And I'll tell you what, it's another great action-packed weekend in football indeed coming up for us. But we had a major event this week in the NFL trading deadline. And I'll tell you what, it was just Truly exciting for many, many reasons. And who better to go into that than my good friend from the, and I'll say it right this time because I, I was re-listening to one of my podcasts on Monday and I happened to have said the Fantasy Football Podcast. No, no. <laughs> it's the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast. The pay Dirt. Pay yeah. Dirt because I... <laughs> Always forget the Pater. It's the Fantasy Football <laughs> Pater podcast, and it's my good friend Tyler Baker, the host, and also the curator of Fantasy Football Pater podcast on Facebook, and also as well, ffpater.com. Always good to talk to you, my friend. Yes, sir. It's all about the pay dirt, man. You, hey, and, you work uh, all season to get the pay dirt. That's <laughs> right, indeed. And I, you know, I'm a man, uh, you know, I own up to my, my mistakes. So uh, when I forget the pay dirt, uh, because sometimes when I'm doing my intros, yeah, we've got a Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Podcast uh, coming up. And like, <laughs> I listened to that like a few days later. I'm like, you know, you edited this, you moron. You should have listened to it <laughs> no more carefully. Worries, man. No worries. It's good to be on your show, man. Thanks for inviting me. Always great to have you on. We, we love it. In fact, each and every time you're on, you always seem to, to give us new insight whether it's from your site, ffpater.com, or being a part of your Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group. Because if you need help with lineups, waiver wire pickups, and the whole nine yards when it comes to your fantasy football team, because now is the time to act because the playoffs are just around the corner. Just and around the, the corner. And the NFL trade deadline just hit. And there's no better place to go than the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast Facebook group to get those questions answered. First, the aforementioned NFL trade deadline just yeah. came and went. And for reasons that all across the board, it was one of the more amusing NFL trade deadlines <laughs> that I can remember. So I'll tell you what, you enlighten us sure. and, and myself as well on what your thoughts are on NFL trade deadline action and how it affects fantasy football owners out there, including me. Sure, sure. Yeah, there was a lot happening on Halloween this year uh, with the trade deadline. I can't remember a year where so many things uh, happened on this on the uh, trade deadline. So what you saw basically is you saw teams getting rid of guys that they were not going to sign to a contract next year and getting draft picks for them. That's basically what it boiled down to. So you had Kelvin Benjamin of the Carolina Panthers 
moving and it blew my mind. He plays for the Buffalo Bills now. It made sense because there are some coaching guys and, and the GM or from Carolina. So they were familiar with this player. They wanted to get him. It really blows my mind, though, for Carolina, because at the start of the season, they wanted to get Christian McCaffrey involved. They wanted to do these, you know, cute little short routes. It wasn't working. They lost games. So they went back to Cam Newton throwing the ball downfield to his big body targets. And especially Kelvin Benjamin. Cam Newton said just last week that if he was in a foxhole, he would want to be in the foxhole with Kelvin Benjamin. Well, it doesn't make any sense to him either because he obviously, after the trade happened, he kind of questions well. And even Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors questioned it as well. It didn't make sense. The only thing that makes sense is that they knew that they were not going to keep him. And so why not get a third and a sixth round for him now? So that's the only bit of credit that I can give to the Panthers, but it does not make sense because now it puts him in a position where you've got Devin Funches is your downfield guy now. Now, Greg Olson will be back in a couple of weeks. He's testing his foot. It looks like he's going to be back. So that'll help. But for right now, that's a pretty tight division right now. And Carolina was just getting on a roll. And now suddenly Cam Newton's favorite go-to guy downfield is gone. When they tell you it's not about the money, it's about the money. It's 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 a business. And like I said, they apparently had already made this decision that they were not going to re-sign him. And so if they already knew that they weren't going to re-sign him, they got in a third and a sixth round pick off of him. So that's not bad. And the same thing happened in New England. Remember, just about a month or so ago, they traded Jacoby Brissett. Well, now they traded Jimmy Garoppolo. So what they ended up doing is they went out and signed Brian Hoyer to now come in and be Tom Brady's backup because he didn't have a backup quarterback. (laughs) But he came from San Francisco, which Garoppolo just went to. Yeah, so there wasn't going to be any kind of a trade thing and – you know, I, I wasn't in those meetings, but they dropped them. And Hoyer had a couple of offers, one from the Packers and, of course, from New England. Well, who are you going to go play for? You're going to go play for New England. That's where his career started. He spent four years, I think, behind Tom Brady. It made sense for Hoyer, made sense for the New England Patriots. And Hoyer could get a ring out of it. <laughs> Two other things that I want to talk to you when it comes to the NFL mm-hmm. trading deadline. Well, actually, there's three, but the third one's kind of a joke. First off, Russell Wilson did get some help, and that could actually potentially help not only him, but actually any fantasy football team that has Seattle as part of its fantasy football player options. Russell Wilson actually took a pay cut so that they could sign left tackle Dwayne Brown, I think. That was an offensive line that has had Russell Wilson running for his life. And it's not been good for Seattle, but Russell Wilson is just one of those great talents and they've managed to win some games. But with this, now they have a solid left tackle that can cover his blind side. That's pretty big for all of, uh, like you said, all the Seattle uh, skill player positions. Um, I think especially a guy like Tyler Lockett, who maybe didn't have time to get downfield, now might have some time to get downfield. But not just him, but for that entire offense, it's really going to help a lot. And also as well, speaking of possibly some offensive changes, one that concerns me a great deal was a trade that I didn't see coming that the Philadelphia Eagles looked to bolster their already strong offensive corps with a pick that concerns me how I'm going to play that individual down the road. Well, you're talking about Jay Ajayi. 
And man, this is a really good deal for the Eagles because JHI is still in his rookie contract. So they I like they can keep him next year for under a million dollars, I think like $760,000. Now for fantasy purposes, what a muddled mess it is now. <laughs> now, the good thing is the Eagles, I think, have the third best rushing offense in the NFL. So he's going to a team where if he gets opportunity, he can make some things happen. He's more talented than LeGarrette Blunt. He's more talented than Wendell Smallwood. Now, the Eagles have come out and said, blah, 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 LeGarrette Blunt's our starter, blah, blah, blah. That's that's nonsense. J.H.I. is so much better. Now, you may still see LeGarrette Blunt on a short yardage roll. I think for for the foreseeable future, it's going to be a running back by committee or a hot hand approach. I think the biggest loser is probably Wendell Smallwood. But if J.H.I. gets in there and his knee doesn't flare up, he passed the physical, the Eagles looked at his stuff and everything was fine. If he can get in there and prove that the knee's okay and prove that he doesn't need his snaps limited, he could he could play a lot. I don't think it happens quickly. He still has to get used to a new team. And he's only been with one team since he's been in the league. So it's not like he's a veteran that's gone around and understands all these different concepts. And, and I don't know those two offensive schemes, how they compare well enough to say it'll be a smooth transition or not. But it could be good for JHIE in a couple of weeks. You know, moving forward the next couple of weeks, I would be hesitant to play any Philadelphia Eagle running back. Once again, it is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pager Podcast. You can catch his great shows every Tuesday and Saturday. That's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, and SoundCloud. You can also check out his great site, ffpager.com. Or if you want to ask him a question directly or one of his great staff members, stop on by the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt Podcast. <laughs> group you got it. facebook i got yeah. it i got it this time you can follow their facebook group and you can always ask those lineup changes trade questions and also waiver wire pickup questions as well tyler it's going to be another great week in the nfl yeah it, unless you're a browns fan yeah but i truly appreciate <laughs> you taking the time to talk to us again and of course look forward to recapping week nine in the nfl for our monday show pop culture cosmos but we truly appreciate you stopping by now to preview it right here on the pcc multiverse always a pleasure my friend thank you so much for having me on always great to have you on and being part of the pop culture cosmos if you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games we can help retro city games in henderson nevada only five minutes from the las vegas strip has all your favorite gaming staples classics and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves come in and chat with nicole or doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite and don't forget retro city games loves trade-ins so if you have any nintendo super nintendo sega xbox playstation or even pc games come in and visit retro city games today Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show right here on the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. And I'll tell you what, if for some reason you cannot catch us at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network or our Monday show, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, on the Podcast Radio Network, the Pop Culture Cosmos Show, which is the number one show eight months running 
on the Podcast Radio Network, that's no problem. You can always download our show or stream it off of one of these great channels. Just type in Pop Culture Cosmos and it comes right up on Apple Podcasts. Tune in the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, the Gunny Geek Network, Cast Crunch, and popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And if you do download or stream our show off of those channels, we always throw in some extra content just for listening. But that's not all. Tuesdays on the Podcast Radio Network, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, it is Attack of the Humanigans. And I know last episode they had a Super BS Gamescast that was definitely worth listening to. Josh, what do you got planned coming up these next few days from your great outlet known as Humanican Media. We have a new Super BS, new Inside Sports, and we also have a, an interview going up later tonight that Brian had with some Aztez Games, I think it's called. So um, check that out. That'll be up soon. And just keep following us on Facebook, and you'll be able to uh, stay up to date on that. That's right. Just type in Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter, and you will get the latest updates on what's going on in the world of Humanican Media. Something to look forward to there. But another thing to look forward to is all the great stuff that Sony has planned for its PlayStation 4, and yes, its PlayStation VR, although not quite as excited for that. But I have a PlayStation 4, so I'm kind of excited what's coming there. So Josh, I ask you, in your opinion, what stuck out at Sony's week in Paris? You know, I'm excited about Spider-Man, and it looks it looks good. When will be it? They haven't given us an official release date, 2018 at some point. The Last of Us Part Two looks cool. And then what was the, the there was a game that was Ghost of Tsushima? That's correct. Su-T-S-U-Shima. Tsushima. Uh, that looks like it's going to be like a samurai warrior type deal, and that just looks really, really good. That was at the beginning of the press conference, and that just wild audience because they weren't expecting a brand new title from that because that looks like it would be a major player, if not domestically or in Europe, but at least it will be overseas. I think actually will be very good here if it does well from a critical standpoint. Then also, like you said, The Last of Us Part Two really, really looks strong with some new footage, with some new characters involved that I wasn't expecting. Yes, I'm, I still got to go back and play the first one. I, that was like before I got a PS4, so I have it on my shelf. I just haven't played it yet. I've been playing a lot of Super Mario, though. Wrong company. Wrong company. Yeah, and they also showed a trailer for the I, what I'm assuming is going to be the last Final Fantasy 15 expansion, uh, Episode Ignis. Yes. And that looks really good. You know, I'm curious what they're going to do after that, because I know they don't have any more DLC lined up after... You know, it's going to be like Comrades and then uh, Episode Ignis. So what is next? Are we going to be, see more Final Fantasy 15? Or are they going to start getting us hyped on a new Final Fantasy entry? You know, and there's also, like, they announced a whole grip load of VR games. But I don't, I'm not seeing a strong market for VR. Because a lot of the games I've seen that have come out have been incredibly flawed. And they're, they're, people reviewing them are like, hey, these games are incredibly flawed. So... I don't know what the demand is for these, but they just keep pumping them out. And I think it's going to go the way of motion gaming where people are, where, you know, they're excited about the prospect of it. And then it's just going to 
sort of fizzle out because you know look at the look at the connect that was sort of in a way a hybrid type of vr but that now it's gone so we'll, we'll see what happens but i'm personally i'm not gonna buy any so i could care less about any of that stuff you're right playstation vr has sold over a million units and it is the best selling of all the the vr devices currently out on the market but if that's your claim to fame is selling out over a million units that's not really worth much crowing about and you're going to see a lot of little games indie games still trying to attach itself to this marketplace but larger and larger entities are, are going to stop actually investing time into it i know the production studio that does e valkyrie they cease production on VR and will we'll get out of the marketplace. I think from paraphrasing here, the next three or four years, because they want to see what the marketplace is for VR. I just know it's something that not a lot of people are going to be interested in. It's nice to see Sony still trying to push all these smaller titles onto the marketplace of VR, but it's really not getting a hold of the general consumer. It's certainly not interesting me at, at much. I don't know. I just doesn't look like it's going to move the needle no matter how many games they push because larger and larger entities that once were very intrigued with the vr marketplace are not going to be investing too much into it because they see the sales of oculus of htc vive and of course the playstation vr and say themselves i'm not going to commit a whole lot of resources to that kind of smaller marketplace so that's probably why it's not moving the needle much for me or a lot of other people as well. But there were some good things to see. Detroit becoming human. It was some really, really very serious stuff that was being talked about in that brief clip. But dealing with domestic violence concerns that really just are not brought up much in the game. But if they're done well, could be really something that could be educational, informative, and really something worth playing. We got to see some God of War footage as far as from the mechanics and, and also the combat. So definitely was was enjoying that aspect of, as well. And the look, game looks really beautiful. Plus Spelunky 2, a new Guacamelee in the series, it was announced as well along with several other games. If you want to check it out, we've actually have posts all over our social media on GameSource. You want to check that out game source on facebook and twitter you'll see it on the news feed right there monster hunter world got a lot more information and a great look so definitely sony needed to have a good press conference and i think they did it can't be their main one for like like they do at e3 or even sometimes the playstation experience but definitely had a very strong showing at paris and definitely Paris was the city of love for them because Paris gave a lot of love for them and, and appreciated everything that they were putting out as far as potential new games, potential new add-ons, and also as well, new VR titles as well that are coming for those platforms. Before we head on out, I've got a retraction or a correction. Just wanted to let everybody know on the Pop Culture Cosmos show, the episode that we had that aired on Monday, we're talking about the Star Wars VR attraction that's going to be built near the Disneyland area. Rob and I were both under the inference that it was going to be in the park, but I got some additional information that it's going to be at the downtown Disney area, which is adjacent. So in theory, you're still spending $30 a shot right before you, you know, as you're going to go in the park, but technically you're not paying 
in once you're inside the park but you know you're right next to it so you're probably gonna go there in there anyways because that's how disneyland and disney that's how they get you so for josh peterson this is gerald glassford and it's another beautiful day right here in the p c c multiverse we thank you for listening and here's hoping you have yourself a great This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another edition of the Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture. You cannot assimilate that title into your normal zing sling high helium tagline. What? Exactly. Pretty good opening. Okay, you're you're borderlining on Mark Wahlberg now. The Pop Culture Cosmos. What? What is that? Cosmic Crossfire. I well, like I just heard, now, speaking of Mark Wahlberg, I just heard him say he is now regretting doing Boogie Nights. Even I though saw that as well. It, he, he's That's one of his best performances of his career. Uh, it's he the best the, performance. I mean, maybe The Fighter, but I think Boogie Nights is a better film. So I get to uh, give it to Boogie Nights. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Boogie Nights is one of his best films. And just he, him regretting to do that. Yes, I understand as uh, from a content religious value. Okay, okay, we'll give him that. But from the fact that it, it his, is his one of his best performances, that's just a shame that he feels that way. So You see, and I would argue that Boogie Nights is a classic faith-based movie. It's about following your heart, doing things in the face of adversity when everybody else tells you it's wrong. It's about, you know, just just believing in those voices and visions that you have. And even when you're, you know, taken off the path of, of righteousness, you find a way to come back and you ask for forgiveness from the father and you'll find a way to get back in there. <laughs> this is true. It doesn't help with that. Uh, it doesn't hurt with some uh, prosthetics as well. From what I, from what I, only on the cosmic crossfire. Will you hear Boogie Nights argued as a faith-based film? Yes, exactly. Uh, but thanks again for joining us. It is. The Cosmic Crossfire. I'm here with my good friend, the man with the legend, the director of Nintendo Quest, and so many other awesome features. You got to check it out today on robmccallumfilms.com or Rob McCallum Films on Facebook because he's got so many, so many, you know, things in the fire going on. It's just, you know, the list is just continuously growing as we speak. And it's an but exciting here- time, too, uh, on that note, uh, Gerald, because the world premiere of our of Kitty, Origins Evolutions, the documentary on the Canadian uh, metal band that I know quite literally intimately, um, is uh, <laughs> this Friday. <laughs> see what I did there? 
Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Very, <laughs> very sly. Very sly indeed. It's Rob McCallum. It's great to have you back, back in the middle of the cosmic crossfire. Check, Like I said, check out everything that's going on, robmccallumfilms.com. Like you said, Kitty, the world premiere, correct, on Friday? Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty private screening. It's not actually open to the public. It's for Indiegogo backers and people associated with the film. But it is hitting the silver screen in, in that closed-door capacity this Friday. And the coolest thing about it is we're going to have, I think, most of the members in attendance. And after the screening, they're going to play a show where members of various lineups and iterations of the band will take the stage together and, and play songs. And yes, we are filming it. And at some point, we will make that footage available to people to check out basically 20 years of metal history on the same stage, which is pretty awesome, if you ask me. Oh, that's awesome indeed. And during the course of the movie, will you do your particular, you know, your usual thing when you watch screenings or whatnot? Rob does not usually sit down, to the best of my knowledge, during these things. He likes to he likes to stand in the back and watch the audience and nervously just like you know, do they like it? Do they like it when he's in the back? Uh, yeah, I mean, this one's a little harder, I guess, because my fiance, who is in the film, Tanya Candler, um, she is saying, no, you got to sit down next to me because I want to hold your hand and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I can't sit down. I'm going to be way too anxious and nervous. So we haven't figured out the answer to that question yet, Gerald. Uh, I think it might be a combination of the two. I, I may have to I, just stand beside her at the back of the room where she holds my hands and I pace back and forth. Well, I believe I've been to with uh, not one, but I think two screenings uh, and have seen your way you, I've actually, it's almost as interesting watching you than watching the outstanding films that you're a part of is because, you know, you're just so, you you get that nerves. And I'm sure as a filmmaker, this is your project, this is your baby. The, The fact that you want acceptance so much from the the audience and to like your project obviously that that comes about because of it it's just a really different experience because at that point with the film playing on the silver screen you are so helpless to do anything you can't do anything except for sit there and hope it goes well so i squirm a bit but that's just that's just me and that's just part of the process and i'm pretty sure that's a lot of filmmakers out there as well so that's uh you're not you're not alone in that so i wouldn't have to worry about that indeed because i but you should be proud of your work you're got amazing stuff that's already been out already including missing mom nintendo quest and so much more and congratulations i haven't spoken to you on a personal matter as far as you being nominated for three chicago emmys for your work with the chicago white Sox. so congratulations with that yeah, three Emmy nods. That's that's not too bad. Uh, directing, writing, and uh, we were nominated for best overall spot. So that that's pretty exciting. Thanks. Yes, uh, indeed. So definitely looking forward to you accepting those awards and getting the. Well, we'll see. Well, we'll, we'll see. see. Let's let's not, you know, counter chickens before they hatch. So to let's speak. not jinx it. I hear you. I hear you. Well, yeah, but I, I thought you. I had thought you had that the tree festival one in the bag, but yeah, and you did. So there you go. Well, but anyways, the, uh, festival, the Forest City Film Festival. I, the Forest City Film Festival. The Tree the, Festival. It's from my hometown. Hey, did you get your film into that Tree Festival again? Oh, yeah. Good for you. <laughs> I'm from Vegas, man. What can I say? <laughs> I, I remember when I see it on Facebook and whatnot, but yes, yes. The, the Tree, tree Festival. festival. That, that I, tree I, thing. I should mention quickly, I believe Missing Mom's going to be on Amazon Prime very soon for people to check out. Uh, so oh, that's Prime. awesome. 
That's if you have a Prime subscription, you should be able to check that out. And even if you don't, I think the rental price is quite reasonable and, and the buy-it price. So I just, uh, I'm just waiting for a notification from Amazon. It might even be there by the time you uh, listen to this. So check that out if you want to see uh, a gripping family tale of my brother and I hitting the road trying to see if we can find our mom who disappeared 25 years ago. Uh, and I'll tell you what, this is something that actually a lot of people should see because this one has garnered a lot of awards, including the Tree Festival, a.k.a. Forest City Film Festival. <laughs> but a lot, of, a lot of awards and a lot of nominations all around the world, this film has nominated. And it's really been hard to get to and hard to watch as far as from, uh, you know, a lot of people wanting to see it. It's been hard for them to get a kind of a an avenue to actually really see it so this uh, this is really one of the first opportunities people have a chance to really see the film firsthand yeah it played the festival circuit for a while and that tied it up from distribution but now it's kind of more or less run the course from the festivals that i submitted to and uh, we're weighing some of our different distribution options our agent is in con right now at mipcom uh pitching it as well as nintendo quest and nintendo quest power tour so that's exciting i can't wait for that report to come back and speaking of distribution deals, I'm hoping sometime, maybe within the next month or so, depending on when we record, I can reveal a potential deal for our He-Man documentary, Power of Grayskull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters Universe. We have an offer that we like, but there's a lot of moving pieces to it, and we're moving fast on it. So uh, I, I can't say anything now. I'm going to keep everybody in suspense. But yes, we have an offer on the table. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome indeed. And now with He-Man actually just becoming even more rele relevant due to that awesome Geico commercial, which uh, I keep referencing every now and then, it's great to see He-Man actually coming back to the forefront in the realm of pop culture indeed. But we've got a lot of great things to talk about right here on this show. So Rob, what did you have, on my what did you have in mind today? What's on tap for today's program? Well, it looks like I got uh, four or five topics, depending on how things go here. Uh, first, I just wanted to start it off. I don't have my usual read between the lines spiel because I think some of these topics are pretty, uh, not controversial, but stimulate conversation uh, and harken back to everything we've talked about over the last few weeks on the Cosmic Crossfire. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick it off first with Fandango acquiring movietickets.com. Now, Gerald, you had mentioned the, uh, the, the dread in, that people had when they were trying to get their Star Wars tickets and having to use Fandango or MovieTickets.com instead of just going to the theater. You talked about the surcharge and buying the popcorn and all the extra costs and, exactly. and associated. So as somebody who has you know, chosen box office over online stores and, and occasionally, by the sounds of it, maybe relinquished to that online opportunity, where do you... Where do you fall in, in an acquisition like this? Because to me, they were the two big names out there for movie sites. Uh, even when you go to something like Regal, they, it redirects you to Fandango. Exactly. Yeah. And, and pretty much any theater chain now does that because they're, for lack of a better term, in bed with almost every major theater chain in North America. So Fandango really has won out and become the major player in ticket services. I'm... I, I have used Fandango, and I probably will And when I'm in a hurry, when I have to go somewhere, and I, I want to go get that ticket, and I'm not going to be able to stop by the box office first, and if I want to grab those seats, uh, especially as since more and more theaters are changing over to a more uh, reserved 
Also, they're more relaxing with the reclining seats type operation. Uh, uh, you're going to be able to reserve specific seats. As more and more theaters go to that, Fandango becomes more important because you'll have to, re you know, a lot of times if, if you're not doing this advan in advance, you actually have to go ahead and utilize Fandango and pay the fee to get those premium seats. And that's all well and good, but I'm hoping that that if you do have time and you do plan things ahead when you before you go to the movies, you you go to do the uh, the old school way and go to the box office, or think about something like Movie Pass, uh, the ten dollar uh, a month service that even though some theater chains are trying to resist against, you're still in a lot of cases able to utilize the ten dollar a month Movie Pass and be able to go ahead and and see at least one movie a day on that Movie Pass. In a lot with a with a great deal of theaters are still utilizing and still accepting it. So that's uh, as long as that is able to be effective, that may be a viable alternative to utilizing Fandango. But there's you know good and bad with it because reserving seats, things of that nature, you can't do, and you actually have to go down and do it the old school way as well. No, well, I sure tell you, I wish there was a movie pass up here in Canada. That would be quite the uh, the treat. Especially with films costing, you know, fifteen bucks to go see uh, the premium times, plus the the luxury recliner chairs and all those bells and whistles. Let alone a service charge. So, getting a, something like Movie Pass up here would be awesome. But or even if you add on, think about this: uh, when I watched Blade Runner, I wanted to watch the I am. Uh, me, I wanted to watch the. Uh, uh, what am I trying to say? The IMAX 3D. The IMA like, yeah, the IMAX edition. No, no 3D. No, no, no 3D for me. IMAX version. Um, that was an additional ten dollars a pop. That was something. And then, if you want IMAX 3D uh, for upcoming films, let's say Star Wars or whatnot, that's going to cost you even more. So you could be paying twenty five dollars a seat, even more for for just one two hour movie, which really is getting quite pricey. Does does this acquisition of Fandango of MovieTickets.com, which by the way, I always thought MovieTickets.com was like the way better marketable service because it says what it is. Fandango had those you know paper bag puppets for the longest time, but is is this going to change things? Do you think that monopolizes and crystallizes and make makes it the only place to go? Or you took the words right out of my mouth when you said monopolize. I I had monopoly on the mind, and I I don't know if it. Technically, it cannot be a monopoly in today's business cycle because obviously there are legal precedents here in the United States and also Canada uh, that would rule out a monopoly. But on the surface, when you look at it and, and you know on the table, that Fandango has uh, really a chokehold and a stranglehold on the movie industry if you want to get advanced tickets. And uh, at least when you're buying theater, concert, sporting event tickets there are a lot of options as far as StubHub or actually through a lot of the sports leagues themselves that you can go directly through there's still a lot of options there but when it comes to movie tickets it's unfortunately fandango or you head straight to the box office yeah it's funny you bring up the uh, the reserve seating because i don't think i had used online tickets uh until reserve seating hit uh downtown summerland in, in vegas now that said, I think I actually bought them online for Star Wars Episode Three premiere. I think that was my first online ticketing experience. But I hadn't used either of those sites for anything except for checking movie times. I just wanted to see when the movies were playing, so that's why those sites were valuable to me. But 
now because I want those reserve seats, like I guess it means a little bit more. And Fandango will probably get my money. Wow, it, wow. It, it replaces the fact that instead of going, you know, when you and I were younger, we would wait in the lines for like an hour or sometimes for a really big movie or whatnot so that we could get a better seat because it was yeah. a free-for-all in general seating. Now, like I said, more and more theaters are going to the reserve seating format. And as someone like, like for instance, I had to go down to the box office to buy my tickets for Thor Ragnarok and Star Wars The Last Jedi to pick out the seats just so I could, but you know, I wasn't be, well, I wasn't able to get the first showing or the Thursday showing. And even in star Wars case, I wasn't able to get the Thursday, Friday, or even early Saturday showings. Uh, and, and that attribute to me, uh, to me, uh, that I attribute to Fandango and those online services, which, you know, you can do right from your own home. So it's, it, you know, you're paying for convenience. That's all yeah. you are. Uh, and, and Fandango's made a huge profit from it and will continue to do so unless we can find something a little bit better. Like There was a movie pass that's $10 a month, but unfortunately that doesn't get you advanced seating. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Uh, speaking of Star Wars, though, uh, Disney announced a new Star Wars VR attraction at Disneyland, uh, Star Wars Secret of the Empire, or Secrets of the Empire. It's 30 bucks. Um, it is a story, and you're in groups of four teams that will go undercover as stormtroopers to capture Imperial intelligence, vital to uh, the budding rebellion survival, I guess. Now, this is a VR attraction. It's $30 on top of Disney prices. I always hate the double grab at amusement parks where you pay to get in and then have to pay for more stuff above and beyond food, especially attractions. What do you think of this, sir, who goes to Disneyland with some frequency? I'm going to do it at least once. And if I like it, <laughs> even more. You know, I, we're going to uh, – they get Shut you while you're there. Take my money. Exactly. It's, what, what, do you, what else do you want me to say? I'm wearing a Darth Vader shirt for crying out loud. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I'm going to sound like a hypocrite if I say, oh, well, I never do that. I can't do that at all. That's that's terrible. You know, i got to tell you, I don't know that I would spend 30 bucks for it, and I like Star Wars. I'm just I'm just telling you, while we're there, while you're in the moment, the girls would no. go crazy for it. And okay, but, uh, it's got to be yeah. something that we got to do at least once. But you got a family of four. And that's 120 bucks. That's like a whole day pass at Disney. Uh, believe me, I know this. You've already done the math. Time. You've already carried the one. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just, you got to try at least once. Uh, I just feel like this is not like going to be a, an amazing original story. I think it's only 15 minutes long from what I remember. It's going to like, here's $2 the VR, a minute, basically. Yeah. Here's the VR version of the trench run that you've seen a million times and played a million times in video games. But now it's at Disneyland. Give me your $30. As something like that. I'm just going to tell you, it's, <laughs> it's unfortunate, but you know, that's how they get your money. That's how they get you. You know, that's okay. We won't get you on raising our prices every year X amount because that's what they've been doing that's been making a lot of people angry. Instead, we'll throw this curveball at you. Hopefully, I'll, I'll, they'll reconsider and and maybe if there's not enough people buying it that they'll reconsider and just add it in. But guess what they'll do then? They'll just go back to raising the prices of general admission every single year even more. So it's a, you know, 
tit for tat. What are you going to do? Either and, this and or VR of all things, though. Like, I just, uh, I don't know. I'm not sold. I know we just had Sony's one year anniversary of PlayStation VR, and there's been 100 games and more to come. And Stop. VR has not not gone over the way they wanted to. It's not becoming the phenomenon that everybody hoped it is. All what a Vive, Oculus Rift. They've dramatically lowered their prices. PSVR has even lowered its prices. And, and you know they're the they're the king and they're the leader of virtual reality. And they've only sold a little bit over a million units. Well, our next story that I want to talk about actually centers right on VR. So I'm gonna jump right over to it and that's that surprisingly one-third of global consumers will use vr by 2020 so let me let me dig into this for you okay a study from ericsson consumer labs is 10 percent of consumers already use a vr device in some capacity largely in video gaming while more than 25 percent are planning to purchase one third of all consumers that exist 10 percent are already using one with another 25, more than 25, are planning to purchase one. In addition, though, when presented with a dozen options of how their media habits will change in the next five years, I will watch TV in virtual reality was tops at 30%, which outscored categories like I will talk to my devices instead of using buttons, and ahead of I will get most of my news from social media, and ahead of I will get live sports from streaming services. So people are basically saying in in five years, over a third of the consumers out there will be using VR and they'll want to watch TV in virtual reality. What are your thoughts on that? That doesn't surprise me. But do you think it's realistic? Uh, a third? No, I don't think that's a realistic number. I'd say a tenth is a realistic number to go off of. That's where we are right now is what it's saying. No, no, that's you not know, even ten percent of customers or consumers ten percent of consumers have used okay and they've got a they've got to stress what type of virtual reality device because it sure isn't the ones that we're familiar with that we talk about on our shows because like I said PlayStation VR is right now the leader in the industry and they're just a little over a million units uh, Oculus Rift HTC Vive you put all well, those together. I, I, I quoted the, the article very specifically. They said that 10% of consumers already use a VR uh, device in some capacity, largely in video gaming. So I think that is your PSVR. I think that is your HTC Vive. I think that is your Oculus Rift. So maybe that's 7% of the 10. I don't know. I, I, I highly question that 10% of the population. It's not of the population. It's of consumers. Okay. What's the near? Okay. Well, I don't, I don't want to go on the logistics. I okay. don't know. I'm Defi just quoting the article. Define <laughs> consumers to me. Okay. Pretty much anybody with a penny to their name is a consumer technically. But and it, all right. All right. We won't go there. I'm, gu I'm guessing that it would probably be defined something around like tech consumers or uh, entertainment people that consume entertainment and spend money on, on entertainment. All right. Well, that's a little bit fair to, to say, but in uh, watching mediums, like, okay, if, if you and I were to go ahead and uh, we had our favorite movies on VR and be able to go ahead and slip on the glasses and put on the headphones and there you go and be able to experience it in multi surround, you know, just 
totally a surround sound uh, and surround visual experience that I can understand the appeal of uh, as long as you don't obviously feel the effects of it because as you know there are certain people that feel adverse effects to virtual reality and they've not been able to solve that problem as of yet but I can see that happening as if the medium as far as that's where that's where Blu-ray and DVD can go. That's where the medium can go to next as far as, okay, if we've gone 4K, maybe we can go 8K. But really, what can we do to get and generate a new medium out of all these movies, all this backlog and all this backlog and library of movies and television films and all that? Hey, let's make sure it's make it available for virtual reality, which I know is the point that PlayStation VR has tried to make with their cinema mode on their uh, PlayStation VR. I know that's something that they're trying to incorporate. And if they're able to do that successfully and maybe market it properly, maybe it will actually go over with a, with a larger consumer base. So yeah, there, there's two points here that, that I really want to discuss. A, that percentage seems really high to me that a, that a third of the people out there that consume entertainment are going to be using a VR device. Now, it doesn't say like religiously or consistently or only. But that number seems high to me. I would say maybe it would double to 20% at best, depending on how they're defining consumers, of course. That The second thing, though, is that when people are predicting how their viewing habits are going to change, the number one category that topped everything out was, was at 30% was they're going to watch TV in virtual reality. And I just don't buy that because TV is still something that's just on in the background for the most part of people. They'll throw the, the news on, the sports, they'll be on their second screen device, they'll be on the computer, they'll be talking to their kids, they'll be having dinner, they'll be making dinner, they'll be getting up in the morning. So you know, yeah, it would be hard TV to have those like glasses that. on while you're yeah. doing that. Now maybe like, you know, you're watching your Game of Thrones once a week or something like that, maybe. But is, is HBO or whomever really going to shoot in like with virtual reality cameras to you know, satisfy potentially 20% of their audience? Well, I think it goes back to what Microsoft has tried to do over the years with its augmented reality uh, uh, proposals. I remember way back when, when I was enamored at CES many years ago with their Aluma Room option, where it was actually incorporating into entire room concept. Uh, that didn't materialize for them. And I know a couple years, two or three years ago at E3, they had an augmented reality deal where they were showing Minecraft in front and it was actually layered. I, I, pretty, did you ever get a chance to see that? Mm -mm. Okay. Well, they had, they had an augmented reality, more formatted system that they could, or, that they were incorporating, but they pretty much have been mum on that as well. If they can do something like that, I can see that happening where you don't need the glasses and you don't need the headphones. That would be better. Uh, that would be, I think, a, a pretty much more accepted as far as... and probably. I agree. And honestly, it's that little bit of production that VR requires, let alone the motion sickness, people that wear glasses. It's, I got to get this over here. I got to plug it in. I got to put it on. I got to make sure I'm looking in the right way. My head has to be positioned in a certain way. It's overkill. There's a screen. You look at it. Done. I don't need something on my head to enjoy it. Just think or, it's a little over the top. Or, or if it's done like in a, like like I said in a Luma room where it's the entire room. You and I, you know, we just bring over some friends and whatnot, and we'll be watching one part of it, the action going on here, and then there's here. That it's like from when since when it was like not formatted when 
when video and movies and whatnot were not very formatted well, and then when they went to letterbox and you could actually see the entire thing of what's going on, if it ever comes to that, which at some point in time, I think it will, uh, maybe in the not too distant future, uh, I, I think that that's what will become what they're talking about as far as a great portion of the population watching that type of advancement. But as you and I you know, uh, Doug and Nicole, for instance, uh, are, are great friends at Retro City Games. Doug is a great, uh, you know, uh, a proponent of the PSVR. He has one. He's been using it. But they're getting married or whatnot. Let's say they have children or whatnot. Do you see them as far as parents, whatnot, actually going ahead and continuing to be able to, okay, hold on, Junior. I'm going to be able to uh, help you in a sec with your homework, <laughs> but i, I got to you know, make sure I uh, – play through this uh, Fallout VR first? I, I mean, I can't comment on how Doug and Nicole would or want to parent or the role of VR in that scenario. That's not fair to me. I just, I don't think that VR is for the masses. I think it is still a luxury item. I think people uh, can barely afford to keep up with the game releases that they are and the cost of sure. gaming and the shortened uh, console life cycles that we've seen in the last two generations going from, you know, at seven or eight years with the PS2 to, what, six years with the PS3. And now, you know, the PS4 hasn't been around for that long either. And prices have remained the same as far as a general price of $60 MSRP, even though you and I both know from the 80s and 90s where sometimes cartridges and discs were costing even more than that. But... And I, I know these game companies as what Josh and I had talked about previously about the microtransactions, the loot boxes, all these different ways of added revenue that they're trying to incorporate because of the fact that $60 is no longer acceptable to the average AAA publisher. Yeah, and it's strange. In Canada, the uh, MSRP is $79.99. It's a $20 difference despite whatever the currency exchange is. And uh, it, the, the cost of games has fluctuated a lot more, and people have, are, are much more aware of where that price point was at because it was at sixty four ninety nine for a bit, then it was at sixty nine, then it jumped up to seventy nine. So like it's it's eighty dollars a game for someone in Canada. So like that's a pretty big price point, you know, for someone to make that kind of plunge. It's like four games is the same cost as a console. Yikes! Indeed, and yeah. I tell you what, to ask you know, consumers to do. A lot more when it comes to VR. That's why I don't. That's one of the reasons why I don't think VR has caught on the way that they wanted it to. Is because the fact that there's just such an additional cost from what people are spending already. And I still think it's the same problem with marketing. When someone can try it, they can sell it. But you can't communicate that experience to somebody with a 2D television, and without any more shopping malls and without everybody trying to go to a Best Buy to, to put on that publicly used German-fested PSVR, you know, window liquor, like, headset. Like, ugh. You know, like, it's, it's going to be a hard sell, and it's always going to come off as a luxury item until that point. Just, exactly. I know I uh, fear every time I try, I try to use it when I'm at CES, so I hear you on that. I want to jump uh, right onto the last topic uh, of the evening. And that is tonight we will see a mobile direct from Nintendo for Animal Crossing. What do you think about I believe this is the fourth title for Nintendo now. They've released it's a mobile, it's the mobile version, correct? 
Uh, yeah, the, it's a mobile direct. So yeah, Animal Crossing mobile. Uh, we've seen Mitomo, of course, Super Mario Run, and Fire Emblem all hit mobile devices with uh, and Pokemon, I guess you could say, even though it's not directly a Nintendo app. Um, and now Animal Crossing finally comes to mobile. All the details will be released this evening at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 p.m. Pacific Time, for everybody on each side of the ghost. Uh, and where do you think the Nintendo is going to land with this title on mobile? How do you think it's going to do? What kind of uh, price points are you expecting? Is it going to be free to play? Is it going to be premium? Uh, what do you think of the title as a choice for, for an app? What do you think? Well, I think right up to be up, up front, I think they should have actually debuted this last week because it kind of takes a little bit away from Super Mario Odyssey uh, coming out later this week. But regardless of that, it's a very smart move, first off, by Nintendo. Nintendo is now doing the things that you and I, when we sat around Retro City Games talking about, and I was not the highest fan of what Nintendo was doing. That's part of the reason because they were leaving all this money on the table that and they had all these great properties that that could make continuously amounts of money great amounts of money for them and they were not utilizing it in the best of fashion and mobile was one of the big big areas that i was continually having issues them not exploiting or taking advantage of per se for lack of a better term they're now doing it and i'm very happy to see that because there is a strong and fervent nintendo base that wants all this even Super Mario Run, which was not critically hailed or accepted by a lot of the fans as well, still got played millions and millions of times. And you've seen what, what happens when they bring their properties to a different format. People just lap it up. And I think it's a great thing for, for Animal Crossing fans that they're going to do it. I think it's going to cost... Uh, up front, I think there will be a small charge, and then there will be plenty of opportunities to to buy more and to help yourself out even more with with all the different functions and features which they're offering. And if you want to be able to not take care of the grind or not deal with the grind, though, Nintendo, I'm sure, has a way of helping you out for a price as well. Well, Fire Emblem uh, was free to play. Uh, with in-app purchases and microtransactions. Super Mario Run, of course, gave you partially a free mode. Uh, Mitomo was free, again, to an extent. I really think Animal Crossing is going to be a free-to-play experience with some heavy pinch points. But I think they're going to keep it casual because they know a concept like Animal Crossing can go on forever. So you don't see even like a $2.99 or $3.99 entrance fee? No, because I don't. You either charge or you don't. It doesn't matter if it's two ninety nine or three ninety nine. It's 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 a complete distinct market split, and I you know I just I kind of understand that a little bit more these days. Um, when you go free to play, you get a, such a bigger audience, and they'll be tempted to spend what they want to spend on what they want to spend versus three dollars, four dollars on something that they don't necessarily know. Or, or only getting a glimpse of something that they don't know, as in like the case of Super Mario Run. Uh, I really think it's going to be free-to-play. The kind of game that Animal Crossing is supports casual, unending gameplay that you can pick up and put down at any point. It is the ideal, perfect game for Nintendo to put on mobile. It is a city builder. It is a social app. 
It is a collect everything. It is a go fishing and do these little chore things. It is a push notification dream come true. Uh, you know, now's your time to go do this or so-and-so is in your town or your, your tree is ready to chop down or your house is ready to expand. It is the perfect game for Nintendo put up, to put on mobile. And uh, I'm really excited to see what the, what the details are of it. And I, I would be really surprised if they charge a fee for it, given that uh, I, mean, I know that and seeing you, you know, knowing your understanding of it, I agree with you on that. I think you've changed my mind that it will be most likely upfront or free to play. Okay, well, I'll take it. The argument ends there. Woohoo! But uh, it just, like I said, you have a better knowledge and you've worked in the industry, and you, you can see that if, especially with their history up front. There'll be, but there'll be a lot of back charges, and, and, and you know, and obviously Nintendo's going to leave no chance as far as making a, a ton of money off of this. Yeah, I, and believe me, they're going to make on their average day thirty player, and that's a player that plays the game for more than thirty days. They will probably easily make more than four dollars per those for those people. You know, they'll probably make somewhere close to ten, and you know, they'll churn in thousands and thousands and maybe millions of dollars a day as a result of that it's it's got a big enough fan base that they probably could charge something up front for the newest title of it because it is such a perfect fit and four dollars is way better than seventy dollars or sixty dollars as you just said um but there would still probably be in-game microtransactions on top of that i just i really think the savvy move is to make it free to play and, and just dominate that space as so many city builders and social games do um expect it to whenever the release date is expected to dominate the charts i'm guessing it'll probably be christmas and if that's the case it's going to be a great christmas for them indeed because we got the super N super nes mini coming out that's all over the place when it does come out all over the place it seems to go just like that uh so great sales for there and that'll be a big time holiday gift of course we also have to talk about the switch the Switch is still selling very, very strong numbers. Number one, uh, again, last month overall in sales, heading well past $5 million at this point in time worldwide. So definitely uh, some great sales for there indeed. And you've got Super Mario Odyssey coming out and then Animal Crossing coming out. So it's gonna, definitely going to be a great, great holiday season for Nintendo. And this, I guess when I was talking to you way back when regarding this, this is what I envisioned because they've got – all these great properties, they just needed to create those revenue streams with all these classic properties in order to try and capitalize and, and work, you know, be able to see the whole thing through. And it looks like they they did see the vision then. They just didn't tell anybody what their plan was long term. But now it's finally coming off to fruition. Well, you know, I, I still don't know that Nintendo has learned their lesson about releasing you know, the quality games or their first party titles with the frequency that they need to or getting the exclusives that they need to. But the, Mario Odyssey... better with third parties, though, but this time around. You know what? Like, I got a PlayStation 4. Whatever they do with third party doesn't matter to me. Because chances are I've got access to it. You know? And they're, you've they're got... It. At this point... Step. Baby steps. Yeah. At this point, the only reason for me to buy a Switch is Mario Odyssey. I said that from the second it was announced, Zelda was not enough of a reason for me to get it. I would have rather just played it on the Wii U, Breath of the Wild, that is. 
Uh, and it would take looking at and seeing what the, the Mario title would be. We got a glimpse of it at E3, a really in-depth look, actually. We've seen more and more since, and it would be a system mover for me, but I'm not going to buy it right now for, for one game. No, sir. Not, not for the time that I don't have to play, to play that game specifically in games in general. I'm not going to spend that kind of money on it. So I think it looks like a great game. I'll maybe try to find a way to swindle uh, a switch from somebody for a bit to play it. I don't know how that works these days. Can't go into Blockbuster Video anymore and rent a system. No, no. Those days are done. Those days are done. So that wraps up the Cosmic Crossfire. If you uh, have questions, comments, or want to just let us know what you thought of it, drop us a line. Uh, where can they hit us up, Gerald? You can always leave your thoughts with us on popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, humanity media and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Just let us know, you know, we can actually uh, read your comments on the air, read your questions on the air. And I know Rob and the cosmic crossfire, Josh or Tyler Baker uh, for fantasy football, Pater podcast. Uh, any one of us would be glad to uh, take your questions and just want to go ahead and send it to us. We truly appreciate it. There you go. There it is. And whether the Cosmic Crossfire returns next week, we're not sure yet. But uh, given that we usually record on Tuesdays, uh, you may hear this on part of the Monday show or the Friday show because we like to make sure we're done in advance. But next Tuesday is, say, Halloween. Exactly. So, yeah. so that might be hard with all the trick-or-treating going on. I'm sure you'll be out trick-or-treating. I will be with the girls. I want to make sure everybody that hears this has a safe Halloween and happy Halloween. No scaring. Not not too much scaring. How about that? Gerald, well, I have a feeling that you're the type type of type of guy that likes to scare kids on Halloween, aren't you? Every now and then. <laughs> Every now and then, folks. You heard it first. Right here on the on the Cosmic Crossfire as featured on the Pop Culture Cosmos or the Multiverse, depending on where you're listening to this. So exactly. Across exactly. the board. There you go. All right. Well, All right. thanks for having me, my friend. As always, it's a pleasure, my friend. And, and you know, it's just so awesome, as always, to have you a part of the pop culture cosmos and the PCC multiverse.